from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan, and here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. Hurricane Ian leaving a deep mark on Florida agriculture from crops to fertilizer will assess the potential impact, currency concerns, and what it could mean for meat exports. It was kind of sudden. He was up there, and one day he was sorting cattle, and then like 15 minutes later they decided, you know, we probably need to take him up there. Three families who've dealt with a heavy dose of tragedy the past few years. So I screamed and he screamed and we took off. It was the worst nightmare ever, <laughs> but it's not my nightmare. We'll share each of their stories and show you the joy made possible by three heartfelt gifts. And in John's world... Embargoes seldom work like you think they're going to. This special edition of U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Bex. From farmers' first pass in the field to the final one at harvest, it's a game plan rooted in faith and belief. Bex Hybrids is with you every turn because both on and off the field, we're all farmers at heart. See why at BexHybrids.com. Now for the news. Florida's cleaning up this weekend from what Hurricane Ian did to the state. As the storm moved north, the toll on ag production is still unknown, but early reports show the state citrus crop was in the hurricane's path. The cotton in a major fertilizer plant may have escaped the worst of it. The storm, packed with winds of 155 miles per hour, slammed into southwestern Florida midweek as a potentially deadly Category 4 hurricane. That's just shy of a Category 5. As the storm shifted east and farther south, more of Florida's orange production fell in its path. Stone X Group telling us that Florida raises more than 70% of the United States citrus, and the majority of that just in five counties. Well, four of those five counties saw the worst of the storm this week. And according to Reuters, Cargill shut down grain processing as well as salt packaging and other sites across Florida. As you can imagine, it is pretty devastating. You know, when that storm came uh, on shore, heavy wind, uh, rain, inundation, and the surge. And what it really does is left the, the, the place almost unrecognizable in some places. Well, phosphate production, also a concern as the hurricane gained strength. A large production plant missed the worst of the storm, but there are still concerns over possible power outages impacting the plant. Now, Florida is home to Mosaic, which mines phosphate and potash, turning in them into fertilizer. Josh Linville of StoneX Group says the storm surge and wind damage happened farther south of the plant, but disruptions to the electrical grid could still cause issues just like it did more than a year ago when Hurricane Ida hit the Gulf. But the storm hit as USDA releases more details about a plan to help increase American fertilizer production. It's making $500 million available in grants under what's being called the Fertilizer Production Expansion Program. The funds are being made available through the Commodity Credit Corporation, and officials say the program will support fertilizer production that is independent, made in America innovative, and farmer focused. USDA chief economist Seth Meyer telling me earlier this week that fertilizer prices creeping back up are causing more concerns for the farm financial income outlook in 2023. Part of what we're seeing on, on costs for this crop that uh, folks are harvesting now was some folks bought ahead and didn't face the full brunt of those rising, uh, rising fertilizer prices. Now you're going to face them. And, and I, I don't see an immediate um, uh, 
solution that brings those prices down quickly. Well, meat exports hit a record pace last year, and while the beef side got off to a roaring start, the U.S. Meat Export Federation says there are some signs of possible headwinds for exports the rest of this year. A big issue? Concerns about currencies. U.S. Meat Export Federation says beef exports hit $1 billion six out of the last seven months, but the latest export report did show a sign of some slowdowns. Now, there are sharp fluctuations in some of the world's major currencies, including the U.S. dollar surging to the highest level in 20 years on Monday. And that's injecting concern about the global economic outlook and what a higher dollar could mean for the price of ag products that are shipped overseas. When you have historic moves, you know, going back to the Asian financial crisis in the case of the yen, not touching that 145 mark since 1998, that sends off, to me, sends off warnings as why are these currencies moving the way they are? What is that telling us? So kind of the deeper story, not only does it make our product more expensive for the Japanese consumer, but also what is this saying about the different economies? For as it's not a guarantee beef exports will see a sharp drop since global beef supplies are expected to remain tight and Brazil's currency is holding against the U.S. dollar. All right, that's it for the news. When we come back, remnants of the hurricane is still something that we are watching closely. We'll have a check of your forecast coming up next. Time now for a check of weather. Andrew Whitmire is in for Matt Urasavik this week. And Andrew, so much devastation from Hurricane Ian across Florida. And while we will be assessing the devastation for weeks, I know that you've been keeping your eyes on the tropical storm as it did move farther north. And that's right. We continue to watch again the effects of uh, what was left of Hurricane Ian as again it continued uh, to uh, dominate uh, parts of Florida, worked its way up along the Carolina coastline as well as parts of southeastern Georgia. Uh, the only light here with this as we take a look at the root zone, notice where you get some of these reds across the parts of the uh, Carolina coastline. That's again where they really do need some of that moisture. We of course have gotten some of that moisture. We just again do not need uh, those uh, devastating rainfalls, but of course uh, we could use at least a two to four inches of rain. Uh, but anything more than that is just asking for uh, too much uh, water. Meanwhile, out across the Plain States, parts of the Intermountain West, it's continuing to dry out and we're going to continue to see drought conditions worsening across uh, parts of uh, Kansas and Oklahoma. Looking at the U.S. drought monitor here that was just updated on September 29th. Notice how we're getting some more of those reds and deeper reds in there. Exceptional drought is starting to show up here across parts of western and parts of a southern tier of Kansas, as well as parts of Oklahoma as well. And it does look like going forward, it's going to be kind of dry here as we go into the first few days, if not maybe the first few weeks of October for much of the Plain States with not many systems working its way through. Looking at our jet stream for this upcoming week, we'll have some slight ridging going on, but all eyes on this little trough system that's going to come on through as a cold front begins to work its way through parts of the Great Lakes and Midwest and upper portions of the Plain States. That will eventually bring with it some cooler temperatures as we head towards mid and the latter half of this upcoming week. Next weekend could be cool for the northern half of the country. Meanwhile, very mild for the second half of the country. And with that dip in the jet stream, that's going to kind of prevent at least the short term for any other tropical systems to develop. And again, we are not forecasting any uh, tropical systems to impact any portion 
of the US over the next week, but something that again we will continue to monitor as we go throughout the month of October. Here's how Monday shapes up. We got high pressure dominating again. The last remnants there of what was left of Ian will continue to work its way out of the lower 48 out along the uh, seacoast there. And as we head towards midweek, all eyes on this cool front that'll be working its way through the Great Lakes area. That'll bring with it maybe a spotty shower too for parts of the Midwest Great Lakes. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of a non-eventful week across to much of the lower 48. This dominant high pressure will move on in and that'll bring with it uh, drier conditions as we head towards next weekend. Here's a look at our temperatures uh, for this week here again. Above average temperatures are going to be favored across the western half uh, of the US. Precipitation is going to be hard to come by here as we go throughout this week. A slight chance of above average uh, temperatures and precipitation for parts of the four corner states. And then as we take a look at temperatures uh, for next week, much of the country is going to experience above average temperatures as we go through the second, if not even the third week of October. Thanks, Andrew. Well, harvest picking up pace across the US this week, thanks to an open window of weather for many. Our early reports, though, better than what some expected. Arlen Suderman and Aaron Fry join us for our marketing roundtable next. Welcome back to US Farm Report this weekend. Darren Fry, as well as Arlen Suderman joining us. All right, let's talk about harvest really ramping up across the country this week. Saw several combines rolling in the field. Arlen, as you look at some of these early harvest reports that are coming in, especially those that are just now hitting the field, are things better or worse than expected? Yeah, they're really kind of all over the place. We're certainly seeing those people who are getting some really good yields and, and even better than expected, considerably better than expected. It really comes down to the rains that we received in the last 45 days. Um, and particularly west of the Mississippi, especially in Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, uh, in parts of Missouri, and in parts in Iowa where the yields are low, at kind of as expected. Other areas of the Midwest and even spotted areas east of the Mississippi, we see some disappointing yields, but otherwise we're seeing some really good yields. And this is one of the reasons why we didn't expect a crop failure this year. We didn't expect a total crop failure. I was looking for something in the low 170s and i still think that we're going to end up there maybe just a little bit lower my yield my yield model right now is at 169 um, but it's really going to come down to how the good yields with the good seed size average out against those areas that really got hurt and how that all flushes out this is very early right now in the first 15 percent or so uh, of the of the crop being harvested we'll have to see how it goes the rest of the crop yeah, Darren, as Arlen said, we knew the problem areas. Those are still problem areas. But as you get kind of east of the Mississippi and you hear some of those reports, especially where you are in Illinois, is it surprising you? And, and you know, is it possible that we see USDA possibly raise their yield in the next forecast? Well, that's a great question, Tyne, uh, whether they'll raise it or not. I could see them leaving it the same here in October just because of all the yield data that I'm collecting. And it isn't just east of the Mississippi. There's some really good spots in Iowa, Minnesota, up in the Dakotas. But we're seeing some yields that are way better on poor dirt than we expected. But also then the good dirt is outperforming. So we're talking 20, 30 bushel over our expectations, over kernel counts. And uh, some of the poor ground is what's really shocking. Stuff that we thought might make 180, 190 is in the 220, 230 area with very little rain in some of these spots. So it is incredible. 
And I do think that the USDA, you know, might have to bump yields up before it's all over. But as Arlen said, we're only 15% into it. We will see harvest accelerate. And as we get more data, we'll have more of an idea whether to leave it the same, come down a small amount in October, or have to raise it further out, like in the November report. So time will tell. Well, Arlen, another factor that's going to be hard to forecast and has been hard to forecast is the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Now, we, we're recording before we know what Putin announced on Friday. It seems like things are escalating. So if we do see this escalate, if we do see this crisis, you know, actually extend even further into the future, Arlen, what potential impact are we seeing as far as the global grain situation goes? Well, things aren't going well in Ukraine for Putin. And uh, so he needs to turn that around. And that, and he's not the type of person to say, oh, okay, I'll just give up and I lost and I didn't do well. He's not the kind to do that. He's gonna try to swing things back his way uh, by annexing the Eastern territories of Ukraine so he can declare that's part of Ukraine. So when Ukraine continues to retake that territory, he can say Ukraine is attacking his territory and they're even threatening nuclear warfare. Now, that's probably more of a threat than anything else, but one of their security officials this week even talked about how he didn't think the Americans and the Europeans would come into U Ukraine uh, if they would choose to have an, a nuclear apocalypse there. Now, one of the reasons they probably won't do that is because the radiation would drift right back over Russia, uh, but some limited strikes are still a possibility. That's been providing a lift underneath the grains. In other words, the risk is higher. Unknown, what is Putin going to do? Probably not extend the grain corridors that have been allowing exports out of Ukraine when they expire in November. What else might he do? Because he has to turn the tide from his standpoint from what it, way it's going now. How far might he go? And that unknown is helping lift these markets or help hold them up at a time when a wall of worry in the outside markets is applying a lot of pressure along with that high VIX of fear index and a very strong dollar. Yeah, Darren, real quick. I mean, we'll get into more of this later coming up on the show, but for farmers harvesting right now, you've got the conflict in Ukraine that seems to be, uh, you know, no sign of ending anytime soon, yet you have this recession talk heating up. Real quick, what's your advice? Well, I'd be a seller of any rallies. If we get, um, you know, anything bullish out of the market, I think you have to sell it. Uh, we do have the macro headwinds blowing very strong against us. I mean, Putin is a wild card, like Arlen said, and he doesn't like to lose. That could provide some real support for these markets later on, maybe past the election, past the middle of harvest. But for right now, I think with the pressure coming at us, basis weakening, uh, rallies are for selling here as we get into harvest. All right. Well, some signs of some shipping issues here domestically, as well as need to talk the currency impact on, on exports. We'll do all of that coming up later on U.S. Farm Report. The crisis in Ukraine looks to be escalating. And while it's hard to project to Vladimir Putin's next move, it's also a question of what it means for world trade. John Phipps gives his thoughts from the farm this week. The recent successful counteroffensive by Ukrainian forces against Russian invaders surprised military experts around the world, including quite a few in Moscow. While the conduct of the war by the Ukrainian army has been impressive, the abysmal, abysmal performance by Russian forces has been an even bigger story. Inadequate logistics, poor planning, and low troop morale. Even Western experts have been stunned by the inept performance of 
what was once considered a formidable army. Now throw in the draft and see how that works. Recently, for the first time, there is limited but serious criticism of both Putin and his policies in the Russian media. The Ukraine conflict may be far from over, but the inevitability of Russian conquest is seriously in question, and there are already follow-on consequences for the Russian economy and maybe the leadership. More importantly, the longer the battle goes on, the more Russia loses. The deeply painful effects of the loss of the Russian natural gas supply has triggered alarm in Europe. And Russia may also be about to experience the embargo market destruction problem. The U.S. is already the largest producer, and we could increase those capacities relatively easily. I think the crucial development is shown in this chart. All Americans are griping about natural gas prices, especially farmers, because it's linked to fertilizer. They really haven't risen to unheard of levels, despite nearly tripling. Natural grass rose from about $3 to 10 before falling back to about 7 now. For Europe, the story is way different. This gap between U.S. and EU prices is a flashing signal of opportunity to investors. A premium of over 40 bucks will prompt investment in LNG ships and ports and has already made the U.S. the largest exporter of LNG. With transportation all that prevents our natural gas prices from rising toward global prices, trade flows are already shifting. The majority of our exports now go to Europe instead of Asia. The EU is also speeding construction of new pipelines in Portugal and Turkey and considering others. Seems like I remember an embargo that backfired similarly. And the more drawn out this conflict becomes, the more likely replacement sources and natural gas trade flows will compensate to capture those huge profits triggered by energy economic warfare. Soybean farmers, at least, may wonder if Putin's embargo may become a Brazil-sized blunder. Thanks, John. And we'll make sure to get those comments posted on our YouTube page. Well, when we come back, Machinery Pete joins us this weekend for Tractor Tales. Hey, folks, welcome back to Tractor Tales. This week, we're going to journey to southwest Michigan, and we're going to check out a classic Farmall 400. This was an internet tractor that I purchased off of Craigslist approximately three and a half years ago. I bought it sight unseen. I talked to an older gentleman that owned it and he said that he completely rebuilt it. And I got it home and after a short time I discovered I had water in the block, in the, in the oil. So I thought, oh boy. So I thought I bought a junk piece of equipment. So I took the head off and took it to Napa, had the head pressure checked and it's okay. Couldn't find anything wrong with it so I was talking to a salesman from AutoZone and he said that he had some liquid that he could put into that block that he'd guarantee that it would seal any block available. So I put it in, I disconnected the, the hose from the radiator so I took it from the water pump and, and run it straight into the block and ran it till it got hot and then I shut it off several different times and then I drained it and I put in a new radiator and ever since then I haven't had any trouble with it. 
started restoring it. I took the hood and the fenders off and had them sandblasted. I like to go to different tractor shows and a lot of antique tractor pulls. And it's a very strong, very powerful pulling tractor and it does very well for me. My wife and I, uh, in the spring, we go to a Memorial Day parade in Buchanan. We want to retire soon and we want to go to different tractor shows. The trophies are from the antique tractor pull. Some of them are a percentage pull and some of them are a distance pull. And it seems to be very well balanced. Uh, I have fluid in the tires and the tractor when I bought it had a, a aftermarket three-point hitch which I took it off so I could get the weight down because I like to keep in the 6,500 pound class. Thanks Greg. Well there are heartfelt stories across the heartland and in our next half hour we'll share some of those stories and show you how one company is stepping up to give them a gift that their family will cherish for a lifetime. You won't want to miss those stories coming up next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Welcome back. Well, the Ortmans are a farm family from Greensburg, Indiana. Benji and Darla Ortman celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary last August. But as Benji received a tragic diagnosis, one company knew they needed to step in to help. As Andrew McCray gives us a glimpse of a Beck's Day Ever. Dad was in the ICU for a while, so um, he, it was kind of sudden. He was up there, and one day he was sorting cattle, and then like 15 minutes later they decided, you know, we probably need to take him up there. So I learned a lot in uh, two days <laughs> to take care of 600 acres and 300 head of cattle at the time. So There's good days and bad days. I mean, it's not been easy. It kind of sucks, but just keeping a positive mindset really helps, mm -hmm. and it's definitely grown us closer as siblings and as a family, yeah. so... We're really grateful for that too. And the farm helps a lot. It's kind of a getaway and you can really take your mind off things. So. It's been a pretty tough two years. No one ever wants to lose a loved one, but you know, I'm keeping my faith. Miracles happen every day. And uh, you know, I know if, uh, if he does go, um, you know, I gotta mentor his son and uh, you know, teach him what he would want to teach you. Hopefully one day he'll, he'll uh, take it over and you know, he'll, uh, he'll create his own legacy maybe. So there's a lot of things that, that you know, make Benji unique, right? Benji took an opportunity to, to venture out on his own and, and create his own farming operation and, and really didn't do it the easy way. Uh, he wants to give everything and, and take nothing. Yes. Very humble. That's, it's Very. just his, he wants nothing from nobody and you know he, he probably the toughest guy I know. There's not a tougher <laughs> guy on this and I'm talking physically, mentally, everything. He's, he's tough and uh, like I said I don't think he'll want anything but uh, Darla will enjoy this. <laughs> the Ortmans don't know that Sonny and Glenda are coming. We've worked with Jed, Allison and the Ortmans children to keep the visit a secret. Hello, hello. Hey, bud. Hey, Ben. Good. Great to see you, man. Yeah. Looking yeah. good. Yeah. Looking good. Come on out, everybody. Huh? What's going on? <laughs> oh, we got we got some exciting oh, stuff for you. Come on. Yeah. You're good. Owen. Hello. 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 Hello.
We got some special guests here for you today. Oh my gosh, I'm just watching them on TV. Morning. Morning. Hi, sir. How, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. 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 Hi. Good. Hi. Good morning. Hi, darling. How are you? Yeah, you got a nice place here. Well, thank you. Thank you. Nice. A little bit of a surprise for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd recommend yeah. We have a, a little uh, gift for you here. You might not normally like to take vacations, but this <laughs> this little vacation is going to take you to Nashville, Tennessee, and you take your family and uh, just enjoy yourselves there. You forget about the farm for a bit and uh, go do that. So oh, well, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just take it one day at a time. I love to work and just just keep working and keep fighting. And take it day by day. Now, Benji is still fighting that diagnosis, but Darla recently found out that she also has cancer. It's breast cancer, and they did catch it early, so the family is hopeful that she can beat it. But a twist in the story of a family who's already been through so much. And to see the complete Bexday Ever story and their trip, follow the QR code on your screen. All right, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll pick back up with our marketing discussion with Arlen Suderman and Darren Fry next. Darren Fry and Arlen Suderman rejoining us. Darren, as you look right now at basis levels, there are some issues popping up. We're seeing low river levels and what impact that could have on shipping. The rail issues, it seems like, you know, that just kind of we kick that can down the road. Those aren't over yet. What potential warning signs are you watching when it comes to basis levels, especially with transportation? Well, you know, we've seen the basis really weaken up here, like in central Illinois over the last two weeks. We are 70 75 over now we're a dime under uh, we've just seen harvest and acceleration of harvest pressure that but we do have those issues around like what does the rail end up doing do they settle it do they go on strike i mean right now we have this cooling off period but we know we have low levels of water in the mississippi some of these rivers are pretty uh low and barge freight uh, has really skyrocketed as we see uh that really eating into some of the margins and so that has to be a concern like we need to lock in this fall basis. If a guy hadn't earlier when it was stronger, a guy needs to consider that out through November, December, because if some of these things do worsen, uh, we will see the basis just fall out of bed. And that will recover, especially in the Western Corn Belt as time goes on. But this will affect the East more than anything. And I do think it's worth taking a look at locking in any grain that needs to move between now and the end of the year. Arlen, we've been talking about, you know, possible re recession for, for months, and we've seen the impact that it can have on the commodity markets. Do you think we could be in for another period where we do see a lot of that selling just based on recession or all the other factors that you talked about, like Ukraine? Um, could that continue just to, to, to hold prices in there for the next few months? We've seen a lot of days lately when the market, the, the commodity markets have really been negatively impacted by this wall of worry on Wall Street, where there's just this fear that the that the economy is going to come to an end, that we're going to have major re global recession that's going to hurt demand for commodities. And certainly some commodities are more vulnerable than others to that. But it's really been a fear, emotion type thing. And as I've said before here, anytime the VIX is above 30, I've observed over the last several decades, it's difficult for any commodity to sustain a rally unless it has a, a really strong story, a near-term story, 
not a long-term story, but a near-term story that uh, justifies continuing to take prices higher. And, and so that's going to be a factor as we go forward until we see that wall of worry come down, the VIX come back, back down below 30. That's going to be a continued concern here going forward. Uh, watch the dollar. That's going to create continued challenges for us. The VIX over 30 are continued challenges. Um, and I think the next thing to watch is the growing um, global credit risk with the dollar being so strong. Those developing economies that have that depend upon our commodities to a great extent that have a lot of dollar denominated debt have increasing amount of trouble paying that debt, which could create some problems with them buying commodities as well. Yeah, on the currency side, Darren, that, that's a real concern when it comes to meat exports, too. So Arlen talked about how these prices, you know, you need a near term story. Is there a near term story when it comes to cattle? You know, I really don't think there is. You know, the recessionary talks are really blowing hard for the meats in, in general. Disposable income's been under pressure. And, you know, just like in the cattle, we're seeing kill rates up a little bit, those weekly kill numbers. And I know that it's been really dry out west. I don't know if feed is part of that issue with margins coming under pressure, but with grain hard to originate out west and a small sorghum crop, small corn crop, no feed wheat available. If you take a look at that, maybe we're seeing some liquidation there. And also the choice select spread is out to $12. Normally that's bullish, but it's because select has totally collapsed. So I think we're putting in highs in both the beef and, and the pork side of things. Numbers will increase on the pork side as we get into the fourth quarter. And so uh, I'm really bearish the meats here as we enter the end of the year here, especially with the recessionary concerns and what the Fed still have to do to get on top of inflation. Yeah, Arlen, only about 30 seconds, but do you agree? Are you bearish on meats as well? Yeah, I think longer term, we're going to tighten things up. But tell me when it's going to start raining. When La Nina weakens and we start raining in the western half of the country, that's when we're going to start holding back heifers and tighten up the meat supply even more. That's when we could see a recovery in these meat prices. All right. Well, Darren, Arlen, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We need to take a quick break, and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. Well, Scott Burgett grew up in Wisconsin, where he farmed on Burgett Family Farms and Silver Creek Family Farms, where he was a co-owner. And to Scott, family was everything. But after Scott suddenly died, the Burgetts celebrated his life at a place where Scott loved ever since he was a little boy. Andrew McRae shares the story and shows us the family's best day ever. In July of 2021, the Burgett family of Southwest Wisconsin suffered a terrible loss. 38-year-old Scott Burgett was a beloved son, brother, uncle, and friend. It was a Tuesday night, and he had talked to many, many. I had seen him that day. We all seen him I that day. Him about he seven, was fine. He was totally healthy. Nothing wrong with him. Yeah. Nothing wrong with him. Yeah. And he he was fit and trim. So when you're 38 and you feel good and you look good, what? Why, why do you go to the doctor, right? Yeah, yeah why do you go? Because there was nothing wrong with them. And he just died in the middle of the night. It was 12.15 in the morning, and yeah. you know, we're sound asleep, and it was Melissa, and she finally got it through my head. Judy, he's not breathing. It was the yeah. worst nightmare ever. <laughs> but it's not yeah. a nightmare. It's like part of you gone, but you got to go on. 
Scott grew up in Wyota, Wisconsin, where he farmed on Burgett Family Farms and Silver Creek Family Farms, where he was a co-owner. He was very special, and I don't even know if words can even include or like how much he means to so many people, but to me and my kids, they miss him. I was lucky enough, I worked with my brother every day. You know, we were business partners, worked by side by side. Some days we, we fought like brothers, you know, because we were brothers. But then, like we always said to your family, you could tell your brother off, but then the, the, two minutes later, you're back to normal conversation and it was just, everything was normal. After him passing away this early, I just, I, you realize how lucky you were to be able to work side by side with your brother. Just before Christmas, the Beck's Day Ever team surprised the Burgett family with a special weekend away to celebrate Scott's life and legacy. We just want to, uh, to, to show our love for you and your family. And, and uh, also we, we understand that you used to organize a lot of trips up to the Wisconsin Dells maybe for uh, the family and you kind of kept the family together with doing that. And that was uh, such a great thing. We want to uh, give you this little gift and that little gift would be for you to uh, be able to take all of your family up there for a weekend, uh, first part of January, and you can celebrate again the memories, and that's what we can celebrate, the memories of the people that we, we love that we have lost. Over the first weekend in January, the entire Burgett family headed off to Wisconsin Dells, one of Scott's favorite places from his childhood, and spent three cherished days together celebrating Scott's life and legacy. Well, you can follow their story and hear more and even more about their trip by visiting the QR code on your screen. All right, we need to take a quick break, but John Phipps has his customer support next. The missing link in the green energy chain. increased focus across the U.S. to go green. Here's John Phipps. Regular viewer Roger Voles in North Liberty, Iowa, puts his finger on the bottleneck for renewable electrical energy. Like many areas, we have also seen many windmills go up to our west along Interstate 80 and Highway 30. I think the windmills and solar panels are great as long as they take into consideration the land environment and landowners in surrounding areas. My problem I do have with them is storage. If we don't come up with large long time storage capabilities, we will still need coal, oil, gas and other forms of energy for when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. Roger, this is indeed the challenge for all forms of carbon-free electricity, and the entire industry is pouring many billions into the solution. When I began uh, researching you for your question, I discovered there are multiple technologies competing to provide batteries for this very purpose. Now, the dominant lithium-ion batteries that power everything from cell phones to EVs are getting better and cheaper, but lithium is expensive and has some drawbacks. It looks to me like there will be two complementary battery approaches, distributed and large scale. 
Homeowners are already installing multiple day batteries, usually in conjunction with an EV or solar array purchase, but that will only be practical for homes with enough space, like farms. That market is developing rapidly with improving technologies and falling prices. The more important storage, however, is being installed by power companies, especially in California right now. These are referred to as BESS, Battery Energy Storage Systems. Right now, it is hard to identify the breakthrough technology in that arena from the competing approaches. As an, an awful and overlooked alternative is a better, smarter electrical grid that could move power from where the sun is shining, as you put it, to where it's needed. Such infrastructure, though, is painfully slow to build in the U.S. for various reasons, so one workaround that recently showed up is to buy retired power plant installations and then build a massive solar array on that site and utilize the existing grid connections. The energy transition will be like that, perhaps, multiple small innovations contributing to a wide-scale solution. Thanks, John. Well, when we come back, we'll travel to Michigan to see how one family and community worked to bring joy to a wife and mother who spent two years away from her home recovering from a life-changing accident. That story is next. Closed captioning on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF. BASF, helping you to do the biggest job on earth. Keith and Cindy Wilson live in Michigan. Married for 41 years, the farm was a dream they shared early in their marriage, and they made that dream come true. But in May of 2020, a tragic accident devastated the lives of the Wilsons and left Cindy fighting for her life and in the hospital for two years. But this past June, Andrew McRae shows us how Cindy's return home was met with a best day ever. Me and my wife started uh this business um, years ago and we just uh, grew to what it is today. Our mom was pretty much a superhero to the community. She always tried to do everything that she could for us but also help with the hospitals and community around us. Took care of the yard for the most part, mowing the grass and, and garden, always had a garden. She loved gardening. But in May of 2020, a tragic accident devastated the lives of the Wilsons. She got some steaks out and was gonna grill steaks for dinner that evening. The grill that she was cooking on was tipped over and it was a charcoal grill. The porch was on fire and she laid right in the middle of it and it hit her head and knocked her out. So she was badly, badly burned and, and we still don't know to this day what caused it. That was a bad day and then it got worse from there for a while, you know, I mean, they didn't give her much of a chance. That phone call is probably the worst one I've ever had in my life. I get a call from my dad and says, your mom's been in an accident, I need you here now. Got the phone call and the truck couldn't go fast enough to get here. With over 60% of her body severely burned, Cindy was given only a 10% chance of survival. We had some setbacks. We would take three steps ahead and one step backward. I don't know the right word for it, but it, it was just uh, amazing. The uh, people, friends, you know, that uh, helped out, you know. Um. Our team um, for Bex Hybrids is helping out to construct 
the, the paver patio along with the garden beds. It's been this gal's dream to have a garden, and so we're creating a space where she comes home, she can find joy. You can roll right up there and take care of your um, whether it be flowers or vegetables. It's really an awesome thing to see. And I think she'll really, really be blown away by it when she sees it for the first time. Other than short day trips to see her family, Cindy hasn't been home since the accident. And while the Beck's Day Ever crew wasn't sure how she'd react to the surprise, they worked hard to make it a special day for the whole Wilson family. The details of what the team brought to life were kept under wraps. But as family, friends, and the Beck's team began arriving that morning, a feeling of excitement filled the air. Sydney was obviously surprised to find everyone waiting for her, but she was also moved by the outpouring of love and support. And of course, the garden was a big hit. If you'd be able to reach over into them and do your gardening. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Is that awesome? It is. <laughs> Love it. A lot of people that care about you. Just incredible, powerful stories. And you can see more of Cindy's story with that code on your screen. Well, that does it for U.S. Farm Report this weekend. We're back on the road next week, and this time, the World Dairy Expo in Madison, Wisconsin. So if you'll be at the expo, make sure to make plans to join us for our live taping of U.S. Farm Report Thursday morning in the Tan Bark. It'll be a great show as we focus on dairy next week and work to build on our tradition. Until then, have a great weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.